So we're just over halfway through our series on rhythms and Zach spoke last week about the limitations that we have in our lives and what happens when we ignore them. Um, And he said this thing that I'm going to quote, I'm quoting Zachary Robb. He said, to know closeness with others is a fundamental part of being human. To know closeness with others is a fundamental part of being human. So that's where we're going this week. Because all these things that we're learning over the summer are these things that will transform us if we let them. These are not just good ideas that we're exploring this summer that will make us like live an easier life or a better life or a more fulfilled life or whatever. These are things that we really believe will transform us into the likeness of Jesus if we let them. And it would be very easy to see these things like silence and solitude or Sabbath or any of those things as isolated activities. You know, this is about me and my walk with God. But actually, what we learn right from the outset of the Bible is that this walk with God, this life lived in rhythm with Jesus, was never meant to be an isolated activity. Because a life in rhythm with Jesus is a life in rhythm with other people. The relationships that we have matter. Life together, life that is connected matters. Kira was hosting last week and she said that she is 100% extrovert. I'm not quite to that level of introversion, but it's pretty close. Uh, I, don't, I don't promise I don't wear my introverted nature as a badge, although I do talk about it quite a lot. Maybe I do kind of wear it as a badge of honor. I don't know. But basically, like, this whole having, like, lots of people thing, not really my strong suit, you know? I, I, have, um, I have an older brother, and when I was little, he never really wanted to play with me, and I was, like, totally fine with that because he was off doing his own, his own thing, and he, like, he loves jigsaws, and I think that jigsaws are really boring. Is anyone else with me? Would you guys like jigsaws? I hate them. They're just so dull. You know, I liked adventure. And I, I mean, mostly I liked solo adventure. I lived beside a forest. I had this huge garden. I used to amble off on my own and have these grand adventures all by myself because I didn't need anybody else to have fun. And I even brought a picture of me as a child having fun on my own Look, I mean, how cute, right? There are other people in that picture, but I don't need them, clearly. I'd love to know, like, what is the stance? What am I presenting? I also really enjoying the um, anorak bonnet combo. I think that's pretty strong. Anyway, Deborah, you can take that photo away from the screen now. That would be great. But my, when I would play on my own, my imagination just ran wild, and I had the best time, just me and myself. And what that fueled in me was a brilliant imagination that still serves me well today. But it did encourage a narrative in my life that I'm good all by myself. And as I grew up, that narrative had to unravel. As I grew in my faith, it had to unwind. Because whether I like it or not, it is not good to be alone. Growth happens as we are connected and connecting with other people around us. 
That's what we're looking at this evening. What does the Bible say about how we live and do life with others? How we live in relationship with others? If we're looking to grow in maturity and whatever stage of your faith that you are at, whether you're brand new or you've been doing this for years, whatever stage you're at, whatever the next step is for you, that is maturity for you. So no one gets to opt out on the growing in maturity thing. But as we grow in maturity, we need to do that with others. And this is unavoidable in the life of Jesus. What was spoken in creation flows right through to Jesus. He knew it wasn't good to be alone, so he wasn't. He lived in community with his family in a close-knit small town for 30 years. And during his years of ministry, he spent those three years living with, traveling with, working with a close band of people around him. He was purposeful in how he spent his life, not just for others, but also with them. We're looking at Romans 12 tonight. If you want to find that in your Bible, it's in the New Testament. It's a letter written to the church in Rome by a guy called Paul. Paul was a key player in the early church. And we're going to read um, just a section from verse 9. It's going to be on the screen as well if you don't have your Bible on you. It says this, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Will you come and breathe on these words? They are yours. We want to know what your heart for us is this evening. So you come and open us up to what you have for us. Amen. So this passage in Romans, it's kind of split into two halves. I don't know if you noticed that. The first part of it, verses 9 to 13, they speak to the love that we have in community. And then verses 14 to 21 takes a bit of a serious turn, which you might not have seen coming. Because all of that first half stuff, like it makes sense to us. Whether we live it or not, we get it, you know? Be hospitable, share what you have, be open-handed, be sincere in your love for each other, like none of us are against that at all. And then verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Don't take revenge if your enemy is hungry. In other words, 
How we live in relation to all people matters. The people that we know and those we don't know. The people that we like and those that we don't like. Those immediate to us and those removed from us. How we live with people matters and it is all fueled by love. How we love here matters. Not just in this building, but in this family. And how we love out matters. Our best expression of Jesus to this world, to our city, to the places of power and of influence will be a life of relationship fueled by love. And there is so much that we could talk about in this passage. Romans is a really rich book. You could do like a sermon series on each chapter. It's so rich. So I'm not going to try and speak to everything. I just want to speak to three things. It's not exhaustive, but I think it's prevalent for us and for our society. So in, in February, I spent some time in America, and I feel, I'd been to America a few times before, but I felt like this time I got to see real America. If you're American, I don't know, maybe I should apologize. I'm not sure if what I'm about to say is offensive. But I was in the Midwest, and I felt like it was real, real America because like portion sizes were just enormous. I didn't finish a meal when I was there. It was insane. It was like everybody said they had the best barbecue and I didn't know anything about it. And the thing that just struck me the most was they have drive-through everything. Like drive-through pharmacies and drive-through dry cleaners and drive-through banks. I don't know why you need to do every part of your interaction in the bank in your car. It's just, it was insane. And the cars are like monster trucks. I mean, I needed a ladder to get into them. It was intense. We have so many similarities with the US. Like, our food's pretty much the same. We kind of dress the same. We speak the same language. That we often forget that culturally, we are very, very different. And I feel like that is what I was faced with. But one thing I noticed that really stood out to me was in the community that I was, I was in, it was how well they spoke of each other. Like, how overtly encouraging they were. And, you know, I'm not going to lie, it was uncomfortable for me. And it was very un-British. And everything in me wanted to resist it and react against it and just chalk it up to, like, an American Christian culture and say something like, I'm sure it's vacuous somewhere. But the reality that I encountered there was love that was genuine and honor that was obvious. Love that was genuine and honor that was obvious obvious and we can bring every caveat in the book against it but really this is something that we are so often lacking here isn't it like it's it's like it got stamped out of us or it's become overshadowed or it has been insincere so many times that we don't trust it love that is genuine an honor that is obvious. Look at the first few verses of that bit in Romans again. I'm going to read it in the message translation. It says this, 
Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run from dear life, from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. And in another translation, it says, outdo one another in showing honor. How we love here matters. And I think it means that we live like this. Part of our vision of this church is to be family. And we will never get further in that. We will stay on the surface of that forever unless our love for each other is sincere. Like the message version says, don't fake it. The word for sincere there more accurately could be translated as unhypocritical or unfeigned, without agenda. So this is not about niceties. This is not just about saying something that you don't mean just because you think it's the right thing to do or to make someone feel better. This is not just about being a nice person. It is so much deeper than that. And I think it's important to look at what it is that actually halts that culture in us. What is it that halts it in us? What is it that stops us short? I think that it is fear. The opposite of love is hate, sure. But the enemy of love is fear. There's a guy in America called Danny Silk, um, and he says this in one of his books, fear and love are enemies. They come from two opposing kingdoms. Fear comes from the devil, who would like nothing more than to keep you permanently disconnected and isolated. Love comes from God, who is always working to heal and restore your connection with him and other people and bring you into healthy, life-giving relationships. Look at what happened in the garden with Adam and Eve. We, had a, we heard about it last week. They hid from love. God. Why? Because they were afraid. They hid from God because they were afraid. Later in the Bible, in um, a book called First John, Chapter four, there's this whole section called God's love and ours. You can read it later. But near the end of that section, it says this. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. In the message version, it says, there is no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear. Since fear is crippling, a fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment, is one not yet fully formed in love. Not yet fully formed in love. Jesus wants us, his church, his people, to be fully formed in love. In his love. So what are you afraid of? What is the fear in your life that is taking up way more room than it should? 
that is muscling in on the place of love that is halting you from living that love to others in your relationships? What are you afraid of? Is it fear of disappointment? Fear of rejection? Fear of punishment? Fear of being found out? So many things. Because until we look those fears in the face and welcome in that perfect love of Jesus to banish them, our culture of genuine love and obvious honor will not take root. And when it does take root, when it does, when it is sincere, something incredible happens. Look at what is possible when we live like our love here matters. It says it all in that bit we just read. We get to be people of sincerity. No phonies, no rhetoric, no empty plaudits. The church, this family, gets to be a place where words and actions matter where love can be relied upon. Don't you want that? Like really, don't you want that? We get to be people who look for the good. Andy talked about that earlier. The church, your community, gets to be a place of goodness. Hate what is evil, it says that in that passage. Sure, sometimes that comes a little bit too easy cling to what is good. Those two are put together for a reason. If you are hating what is evil, if you are opposing that, you go for it, but you make sure that you are clinging to what is good on the other side. We become people of devotion. It says that, be devoted to one another. And that word, it invokes the idea of family devotion which means that it is long-term. We become people unafraid of commitment to each other. What would that be like? And in a society that is fleeting, that is self-serving, and that moves quickly to the next thing, this is an incredible way that the church gets to posture itself. People of devotion, love that can be relied upon, a place where we cling to what is good and we resist the things that aren't. And that leads us to that place of honoring each other, honoring each other above ourselves, going first with love. And it leads us to generosity, in verse 13, a deep, holy, simple, beautiful hospitality. And it's deeper than what you might think. Because that word in the Bible, hospitality, it doesn't just mean like having a nice lunch with your friends. Although it can also mean that, and that's not a bad thing. It means, it means love to strangers. That's what it means. Hospitality, not just to our nearest and dearest. One of my friends, Trisha, 
is amazing at this. Trisha leads uh, one of our communities called Sanctuary, and at Trisha's house, you will be round a table with people that they have known for years, as well as a Syrian family who have just arrived in the city who might not even speak the language. Love to strangers. And you know, for you, it might not be refugees, and that's okay. But it might be someone in your office that you don't know very well, that just needs like a hello or a welcome in some way. It might even be someone that you've spied as you come in here tonight that you see like every single week because you go to the same church and you've never spoken to them. It might be that, or it might be your neighbor, someone in your stairwell. How we love here matters, especially in this season that we're in as a church. This is crucial for us. How we love here matters. It can be love that is totally transforming. So let's make it a priority. It can be, it can change everything for us, guys. And up until this point, there is something that has been lacking. But how about we just say no more? You see, the thing is, it's not just up to a few. It is up to all of us, and we cannot do it on our own. That's why we welcome the Holy Spirit every week, because we need his help. If we want our love to be genuine, it can be, but it has to be a priority. How we love here matters. And how we love out matters as well. That's what I mean by that. A life in rhythm with Jesus is not just one with good relationships here, with the people around you, with your friends, with your family. There is a bigger vision here as well. Look down to verse 17 in that passage in Romans 12. It says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, I really like that little bit put in there, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And the context that this was written to is important for us to understand. So these Christians that this letter is written to, they were under Roman law. And Roman law was centered on an eye for an eye, a retaliatory, first come, survival of the fittest, winners not losers kind of culture. And let's also not forget that the eye for an eye thing is also in the Bible, okay? So it's in a book called Leviticus, which is a big book with lots of laws. We're not gonna get into it. We can chat about it afterwards if you want to know more. That would be a really, really fun conversation, I'm sure. But the more important thing to know is that Jesus has something to say about the eye for an eye thing later in the New Testament. In the book of Matthew, chapter five, he speaks directly to that bit, to the eye for an eye bit, and he dismantles it, saying, an eye for an eye is not the way anymore. In the new kingdom, ushered in by Jesus, it is turn the other cheek. It is give, and it is give, and it is give. It is basically so far removed from anything that Roman law was founded on. That bit from, from verse 17 in Romans 12 is speaking to 
that kind of culture. Present then, and let's be honest, present now. It's speaking to conflict and revenge. If we're going to be people of love, love that goes beyond ourselves and beyond our friends and into our society, then we have to know what to do with conflict and revenge. And maybe you're like, I'm actually fine with conflict. I happen to be excellent at dealing with conflict and I don't really think that I'm very vengeful. Then, you know, great. But I think that it's something that a lot of us will have a bit of an internal fear of or struggle with. And it is certainly so clear that our world has a serious problem with this stuff. And that's what I want to touch on tonight. I've been watching this series on Amazon Prime, Segway, right? Called Madam Secretary. Anyone watched Madam Secretary? It's a great show, guys. You should watch it. It's an American political drama, and I can't decide if... To be honest, I can't decide if I like it because I, I, I just love American political dramas, so I wonder if I'm just like desperately trying to fill a like West Wing-shaped hole inside of me and nothing will ever fully match up to President Bartlett. Who knows? Anyway, just to be sure, I've watched three seasons so far, and I think that it's growing on me. So... It's about the Secretary of State, and she, as a Secretary of State, she just, the majority of what she deals with is like conflict and revenge and retaliation and proportional response and just a lot of war. Because you see, I think what starts as a niggle of vengeance in us, in a human, if it grows and grows unchecked, then we will see, and we do see, its ripples across history and across our news feeds. So actually, this does become really important for us. Niggles of vengeance will have grown in your heart. And maybe they've even affected family relationships or friendships that no longer function. Maybe they were even justified, who knows? But regardless, the outcome is still the same. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Evil is real. We don't use that word probably enough, but it is. Evil that affects us personally is real. Evil that affects our world is real. But when we take repayment for it into our own hands or even into our own minds, that is a danger zone. Do what is right. Live at peace. Why? This is not about living in a bubble of ignorance or removing yourself from society. It is a call to seek what is right, to seek peace, to choose something other than revenge and leave room for God's wrath. Yikes. We don't really talk about God's wrath very much, do we? When was the last time that you heard a sermon on that? Don't worry, this is not going to go down a scary path. But here's what I think. The question here for us in relation to the evil that we see around us is not what are we going to do about it? 
At least it's not that first. It's what has God done about it? What has God done about it? And that should be our starter. Our reactions should stem from the assurance that God has worked and is at work. We think that God is unconcerned about evil. There's a theologian called Tom Wright, and he says this. And sometimes, guys, like, it's fair enough to look at the things in the world around you and be like, is God unconcerned about evil? Is he working? Those are not wrong questions to ask. But if they stay just in that place and they don't go further looking for an answer, then they begin to fester in you. Which is why we worship. It's why we gather. Because we can't do this on our own. We can't respond on our own. And there's a thing that Tom Wright says. He says, at the center of the Christian story lies this claim that when human evil was at its highest, God came and took the whole weight on himself, thereby exhausting it and opening up the way for the creation of a new world altogether. That's why we are here. Because of Jesus, we have been opened up to a new way altogether. An eye for an eye perpetuates evil. Revenge keeps evil in circulation. We see it everywhere across our world as well. I grew up in Northern Ireland, thankfully, when the worst of the troubles was ending, but I lived in the wake of it. And you know, there are things that I experienced that I didn't realize weren't normal until I left. Like being sent home from school early on a fairly regular basis because there'd been a bomb scare. Like part of our conversation was just like, oh, there was a bomb scare. Yeah, yeah, we're getting home at lunchtime. That's not normal. That is not a normal experience for children. Burned out cars on like any given route, didn't matter what kind of area you were in, a burned out car was just like a fairly normal thing to see. My friend's dad was a policeman and I, I kid you not, he checked under his car every single day for bombs. How about having that as part of your routine? He took a different route to work every day because people knew who the policemen were and they targeted them. To me, a police station was a literal fortress. In Scotland, they looked like quaint cottages. In Northern Ireland, like, you've, it is hard to get into a police station in Northern Ireland and you feel very intimidated the whole time. Not that I have been there very many times, slash at all. In Northern Ireland, uh, every policeman carries a gun. Do you know that? Here, they don't, but there they do. And I didn't realize that there were other types of police cars other than armored ones, because that's what I saw. And you know, my heart breaks for this land that I love. It really does. 
And there has been so much healing. There has been so much reconciliation. And my hopes are high for Northern Ireland. But it's still there, like under the surface, rearing its head at a riot in Derry just this year. An eye for an eye perpetuates evil. Revenge keeps evil in circulation. And if we think that we as the church don't have a part to play, we are kidding ourselves. Because revenge has kept evil in circulation in our society for far too long. And our reaction does not come in the form of retaliation. It comes in the form of love. In John chapter 13, 35, Jesus says this. These are the words of Jesus, and it's real truth, and we need to take hold of it. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If what? If you love one another. If you love one another. It is needed in every sphere of our society, but it starts here. It starts in our hearts. Evil has not won. Let's end on a high. Nor will it. It won't win because we know the ending. But there is still a battle against it, and we have not been left unsure of what to do. It just might not be what we expect. Verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. That's a bit of a confusing bit. If you want to talk about that after, you can. We're not going to focus on it. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. That's the call to the church. Goodness in attitude and goodness in action. Remember back to that genuine love bit at the beginning. It is love that is deep and it is love that is real. Our relationships on every level, micro and macro, like right here in this room, and in any other place that we find ourselves, even as we read the news or, or pray for our leaders or speak out against injustice, our relationships, how we are connecting ourselves matters deeply. How we love here matters and how we love out matters. We cannot move in a compassion that we have not received and that we have not also practiced. So let's be people who cast out that fear from our lives. Like you don't have to live with that anymore. God's word is still true. His perfect love casts out fear. It banishes it from where it does not belong. Let's banish fear from our lives and live in genuine love to one another. Live in genuine love to one another. 
outdo one another in showing honour. Let's deal with our issues of revenge and of vengeance, trusting that what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross still echoes loudly across our world. And let's be people, please, let's be people who put that love on display for those we like and those we don't, for those who deserve it and those who we think never will. Not because of us, not because of our situation or circumstance, but because of Jesus. And so that's a stretch, right? Like that's a stretch. And the right response here is to worship. Because it was like, I think it was maybe Theo said earlier, we need to look to Jesus. We cannot do this by ourselves and we cannot do it in our own strength. So we're gonna, we're gonna worship, that's what we're gonna do because that is the right response. And then we'll see what God does and if he says anything and we'll respond as we go. But right now, we're gonna worship. So if you're serious about it, why don't you stand? Like if you're, if you're up for this, why don't you stand? And that should be every single person in this room. And that's not just a like quip to get you on your feet. You're in a church, you're part of the family, no matter how long you've been here. So we're all in on this. You don't have to graduate to it. Let's worship Jesus together. And let's be genuine in our worship as we do that. Seek his face for whatever is going on in your life right now. Seek his face. I'm going to pray. So Jesus, that is our prayer. We seek your face. We seek your face, especially in the places where we have forgotten to seek your face before and where we have looked elsewhere. Will you forgive us for where our compassion has not been founded on you or where we have squashed it and ignored it. Will you show us where we have given into fear? We don't want to give into fear anymore. Will you show us where our love has been lukewarm or where we have not shown kindness and will you motivate us with your loving kindness you don't come to condemn us you come to liberate us so we ask god tonight for liberation into a life fueled by the love of jesus will you come right now holy spirit and will you liberate us as we worship